0: you To creep closer and closer every single day. You can keep track of the timeline based on my conference previews, which are going up on the website every Monday through Friday, one a day. They will run us to, um, I believe it was going to run us up until the day before Thanksgiving. Or, the, no, the day before the day before Thanksgiving, the 24th, and then the season started on the 25th. Now that the IV, I'm not going to write an IV preview. I'm not going to publish it right now. I'll add one later in January if that uh, that happens. That makes me a sellout, whatever. Um, so that might only get us to Monday, but you will get all the content you can possibly need, and you know we're going to keep coming to you with a podcast every week. So, uh, so Brad, are we are we ready to grind? We're we're getting closer here. Can you can you smell it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, so I've I've been starting doing some rankings, things I did last year in like June and July. I started a rough draft of the first probably first half of a grad transfer ranking. It, it feels way more difficult than in past years, so I may just hang on to it for myself. I don't know if that's me knowing the process more, being the third or fourth year doing it, and knowing how, how difficult it is and not being as naive as in past years, or if this year is legitimately more difficult. Uh, but I found that to be an incredibly difficult exercise. I've started on that. Maybe I'll get to ranking some waiver transfers, but we've got to wait till all the waivers come in, and you got sit-out transfers. And then last year I ranked some positions. I might do that just to just to compare toward the end of the season. I've, I've ranked the conferences, you know, the big eight eight or nine conferences. I still have to make my top 100. Uh, but going through the process of ranking, I think, it makes me more, more and more excited for the season.
0: It is, it is a lot of fun, and I mean, there are certainly some nights where I sit down and I'm, like, writing a Miak preview, and I'm like, man, like, this is, this is the Drex. Like, this is hard to get through, and then I sit there, and I, I say, would I rather do this and not have a season? I say this every single time, so we're doing the thing, folks. We're writing your MEAC previews. We're at a Mountain West preview today that's very exciting. We're plugging down. Big East went up on the website today. And we will have the Big 12 for you later this week. Uh, But we have the Big 12 podcast for you today. So it should be very in-depth, as we've been doing. Um, Hopefully my picks in the uh, Big 12 are better than my uh, Big 12 football picks on the uh, Bovada Sportsbook, which I've been getting killed every single week. I have no feel for Big 12 football. It is unbelievable to watch uh, my my flailings and failings. But uh, regardless... Hopefully I have some good predictions here for you in the Big 12. But first, uh, we do want to mention, because we haven't mentioned it before, the uh, Wichita State situation. Uh, obviously, Greg Marshall under internal investigation after a um, really some, some heinous allegations of player mistreatment. Um, and I, I don't really know how much there is to say on just, like, the morality of the actions. I think we both agree that, like, you just can't do it.
2: Wait, uh, what? What now? You can't punch people. I don't believe so. Since when?
0: I know these people are getting soft. This is coaching style. People are soft.
1: That was that was diabolical, I think, of him to come out with the the second statement, because I think it was just in order to provide the plausible deniability to get his buyout money, right? Because they're gonna want to fire him before they can conclude the investigation, I think, right? So if he just denies and doesn't admit to anything, then they may have to cut him a nice big check. Um, so so Savvy move on uh, Marshall's part.
0: I don't, I don't actually think he's getting fired. You, you don't think so? No. I thought... So I, so I didn't think he was getting fired when it was first released, and then Goodman's story came out. And I was like, man, like, there is they can't they can't do this thing right and, and and then I thought about it more, and I saw how which didn't suspend him, and I said, you know what he's going to stay right? I think you have to understand like the institutional context um yeah,
2: but Indiana fired Bob Knight yeah, but Indiana fired Bob Knight under a lot more pressure A I, lot more pressure I guess with the whole.
1: Elections and coronavirus. Right. Yeah, you know.
0: nobody give nobody cares. No, and people in Wichita will live with it. They'll publish an investigation. They'll say he needs like sensitivity training. He'll be suspended a game or two, and then he'll you know he'll move on. Charles Koch runs that university, and he is very uh, he, he he. So he's a big right wing donor. For those that don't know, he's big uh, anti the cancel culture. They'll just frame this to be the cancel culture. Or that's what they'll do.
1: And what's crazy, too, is they got, a, they got a commitment from Sterling Gaston Chapman, I think, one day before all this stuff broke. I think I think he might, he might want that one back. Um, and then they have two guys, Isaiah Chandler and Joseph Belau, who are two of their reserve bigs. Chandler's been like a fringe rotation guy, and red uh, redshirted last year, and those, those guys were mentioned in either Goodman's report or in in, in uh, subsequent reports as as being mistreated, and they're 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 both still in the team. So puts them in, in, in a really weird spot too, um, and it's it's weird because you know they they had that that mass exodus in the spring, and you know. What's going on with with uh, Wichita? But then they uh, rebounded nicely. They got Dexter Dennis to come back, Tyson Etienne to come back, Morris Udasey, who looked like he was gone. right? He reverts back because his best option. He's going to start at center. They get Altari Gilbert on, on a by low, which I think will be, be a solid starting point guard for this uh, NIT s- sort of team. Um, you'll, they'll be a solid team. They'll th- Top top five in the American, probably. Uh, so so, it looked like they uh, kind of reverted the ship, and you know, maybe some of these JUCO guys work out, and, and it could be a little bit better. Um, but now, now, I mean, if a, if if Wichita goes and fires Marshall, personally, I think
0: this is what you wanted to really discuss.
1: I think they'd be ripe for a nice parachute, right? A coach who maybe is feeling the hot seat and has a Good year this year, and then looks to bounce because Wichita State is a very unique job where they're they're recently moved from mid major status to closer to high major. Right? They're they're in the America. They're one of the better programs in the America. They're always going to finish ne- near the top of the league in that top five or six of the league. So it's not a good enough lead. It, it's not a good enough spot where you would steal another really good high major coach. But you could take a solid high major coach, I think. You know, someone who, like a Brad Brownell from the ACC who's you know, made, made some really good teams, made a Sweet 16, has started to recruit better. He's known to be a great guy, that's why they, they don't fire him. He's made NCAA tournaments, uh, recruited the transfers well, is now recruiting high school guys well. He's someone who would be controversy-free, who's you know, could could. Fit this a uh, defensive culture that Wichita State's built. You know they could even get someone a little better. Maybe um, Andy Enfield, who's recruited really well. Not sure how, how great of a coach he is. But I think he's probably a average coach um, who who can recruit really well. And then there's a the guy who we're going to talk on later in our Big Twelve preview. That's Shaq Smart, who's in a real do or die year. You know if he can cobble together a top twenty finish this year, maybe it's best to get out of Dodge and go to. W- Wichita State, where it's going to be very difficult to to fall to to the bottom half of the league, unlike in the Big 12 when you got all these great coaches, all these great teams, so much football money.
0: Well, I I do think what's what's critical about this Wichita State job that makes it different is, like, they can pay whatever they want, right? Like, they have all the money in the world. I think... Are they going to go pay $3 million to any other coach than Greg Marshall? I would say probably not. But can they outpay any mid-major coach in the country in the same way that an SEC school could? Yeah, they absolutely can. And I think that does impact things. I also think it impacts, like you said, the ability to go get a parachute guy because this isn't a situation where you'd be taking a significant pay cut this is a situation where you get plenty of, you get, you get paid, you have the facilities, you know, is it the easiest place in the world to like live and recruit? Maybe not, but like, I still think it's one of the better jobs in the conference. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's basketball school. They love it there. I think there are a lot of benefits to being at that place. And so it would be very interesting to see the candidates. They get pull. One name that I was thinking of was maybe like a Porter Mosier. Uh, I think he likes being at Loyola, which is, you know, a smaller school, a private school, um, you know, religious school. But I also think there is benefit for him to move up that level. Um, I mean, Ben Jacobson was, is the other Valley name that kind of comes up quite a bit there, um, where he would do a terrific job as well. Um, but the parachutes are, are certainly a, a good point. And I know it's something that you've been texting me since the uh, the night it happened.
1: I mean, I think that they could get any mid-major coach that they wanted, right? I think they could get any average high-major coach who would come in with a better program and a worse league, this this great fan base and money advantage, recruiting advantage, um, you know, could 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 really pick up where Marshall left off and keep Wichita State humming, right? But how about could they get a really good Mount West coach? Like like could they get Craig Smith? I Think probably, or like a TJ Utsalberger. Craig Doesn't Smith so much be success.
0: An awesome Craig Smith would be awesome. Right. Chris uh, Jans or, worked for Marshall briefly in his rehabilitation time. Uh, Steve Forbes is at Wake now. He probably doesn't leave too early. Could you get like an A-10 coach? I'm
1: trying to think if any would, would kind of fit the bill here.
0: Right, you need um, like cultural fit because like, you know, I mean, Travis Ford, I think is a St. Louis guy. Not going anywhere.
2: But, Mark Schmidt, maybe? He's a Rhode Island guy, I think. But. Yeah. Either way, that's, that's going to be a really interesting one to track. Very interesting. Very interesting.
0: We'll be tracking it. I Again, I'm going to say it now. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he keeps his job. I think Greg Marshall will be the coach this time at the end of the year. Uh, this time next year, excuse me. Um, feel free to old takes expose me if I'm wrong.
1: I'm thinking... I think I might go with their coach next year being Craig Smith. I, I think I would do the, the uh, Brad Brownell one. Mm-hmm. I think Shaka might have a good enough year that he just stick,
0: sticks around at, at, at Texas. The other thing about Texas, um, Texas' football coach is starting to feel the heat. And they're not buying out a football coach and a basketball coach in the same year.
1: So I'll go with Craig Smith as is, is the coach next year which Wichita State. All
0: right. Quickly, before we get to the Big 12, we wanted to touch on as well some coronavirus-related protocols that have earned a fair number, a fair amount of discussion that the college basketball landscape, namely um, the two-week quarantine for the entire team uh, with a positive test. This is not mandatory, but it is the NCAA guidance. And I am skeptical that schools will – not follow the guidance now, I will say this today, actually, there's a report by Jeff Goodman that Todd Kowalczyk, the terrific head coach at Toledo, um, was diagnosed with the virus, and they're going to continue to practice. So that indicates that there might be some room to move in the um in the department of 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 following that rule to the T, but it is it is without a doubt the largest obstacle, I think to playing 20-plus games in the college basketball season, because if you're quarantining the entire team for two weeks, you're going to wind up with four games canceled, no matter what, as soon as that happens. And that's going to be very challenging to make up. Now, I do think the other um, interesting thing related to this is uh, Ross Dellinger, who does a terrific job covering um, college football for Sports Illustrated and has written a lot of really adverse-related pieces, uh, wrote a story this morning, uh, Monday the 19th, uh, about the growing push to be able to essentially test out of quarantine if you are a, um, if you were a contact traced. Uh, essentially that um, the data has been showing that no one is testing positive after around the seventh day. So depending on the results of an upcoming study at Kentucky, they might be able to start. They might be able to say, OK, well, we only need seven days of quarantine, not 14, uh, because of the amount we're testing. Uh, but obviously, that's something that we still have to go with the local health departments as well, which will be a challenge. That's something that might be more realistic time-wise for basketball season uh, than football. So uh, getting it cut from 14 to 7 would be huge. 14 is a significant hurdle. We'll see if everyone's willing to follow it. Um, but regardless, I think it's just an interesting thing to keep an eye on. And Brad, your thoughts on the, uh, the entire quarantine situation.
1: Uh, yeah, the, uh, the 14 days seems excessive. But it also feels like feels like it it would be very hard to get away with doing less, right? Because you're just gonna play your next game, and then someone's gonna be like conspicuously absent, and you're gonna have to try to say that they have the flu or something, or you know, make up that they have a negative test, or you know, it, well, it just feels like like they're gonna have to kind of bend to whatever the guidelines are. But with the daily testing I guess maybe cross your fingers, nobody gets it, but it seems like the the NFL's had what two two different teams have positive tests. College football is getting about one sixth of its schedule wiped every week, right? Yeah. Oh, and then about so that's mostly contact tracing or is that only half contact tracing?
0: So it's hard to say for sure. Early on, there was a lot of exclamations of essentially what would happen would be like two offensive linemen would get it, but then they live, their roommates or, you know, friends with, you know, several other offensive linemen. So you'd have two or three cases and then, you know, six more contacts on the offensive line and a team usually carries 12 offensive linemen. So now you only have eight, you only have four offensive linemen left and you need five to play. So then the game would be canceled even if you only had two cases because of the contact tracing. Now, there have been some legitimate outbreaks like Florida, for instance. Um, yeah, Florida uh, had 20 cases. Baylor had 28 cases during the season. Memphis had 25. So it, there have been some legitimate outbreaks inside of teams, but there have also been the contact tracing concerns without a doubt.
1: And, and basketball has you know, 11, 12, 13 scholarship guys. Think... That makes it easier to avoid positive tests, right? Because there's just more, more potential guys who can get it in football and more guys who can spread it. But then on, on the flip side, if you lost three guys to Corona, another three to contact tracing, you're,
2: right.
1: you're on the shelf for a while.
0: Well, so, so I think the, the, the things benefiting college basketball is it'll be a lot easier to keep infections out of your team, quote-unquote, bubble. First of all, for the first month and a half of the season, you're not going to have anyone on campus. The golden so, window. Yes, the golden window, as it's been referred to many times. But you also have the benefit of having probably 25 Tier 1 individuals on a men's basketball team, 15 players, by, you know, th- four full-time coaches, a director of ops, three, three or four more additional staffers, maybe two managers and, you know,
2: Tom's guy,
0: trainer, yeah, whatever. So 25 max, right, for your tier one. Um, So so it's a lot easier to keep it out than the football, which is like 150 in tier one. Um, And the other thing that I think will be a sneaky benefit, and this is probably not, like, the, the politically correct thing to say, is, like, college basketball players will have just survived an entire semester on campus. And I'm not going to like think this hasn't all been reported, but like, are we really buying that Like, at the SEC schools that had 2,000 people test positive in the first two weeks that none of those were college basketball players?
1: I know Jay, Jay Wright said that two Villanova people got it, whether it be coaches or players, I don't know, but, but have recovered. At least I think so. I think I read that somewhere.
0: So, yeah, so, so I think there is a level of how much immunity will we have built up among teams by the time that we get to to November 25th? Cause it, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you, you survive a semester on a college campus right now, especially like an sec or a big 10 school. I think you're, uh, I think, I think you can survive anything. I think you might be immune to coronavirus. I saw a video yesterday of, uh, South Carolina. I mean, I, you gotta, you got y'all folks gotta look this up. Um, and these, these kids, there's, got, there's got to be 1,500 college kids without a single mask in sight, crowded into this like parking lot behind an apartment building, just blasting music and throwing beers in the air. I mean, it was unbelievable to look at. Like, just like a completely different world than the state of Illinois. Um, but I think I think if you survive that for, uh, you know, 15 weeks, then the, the Corona can't get you. That's my that's my opinion, medical opinion.
1: And then, lastly, you know, John John Rothstein likes to talk about how the waivers are chaos. It's like seedless watermelon, chaos. This blanket waiver for winter sports to get an extra year is beyond chaos. Oh yeah. And like, it's not bad for the sport in that we're keeping the oldest group of the population in in for another year, right? Maybe a lot of those guys leave. Probably a most of the relevant guys leave. But I, I'm thinking the the mid majors and the low major guys are probably sticking around. They're they're gonna be 23, 24 years old. You know they're gonna be adding a lot of talent in there, adding it back into the pool. But this is just gonna create such chaos because if every see it feels like the NCA said okay the right thing to do is. The, the the blanket waiver, because that's what we did with spring last year. But, like, nobody cares about well, the no, spring sports,
0: so, right? So, so, no, so, so here's what actually happened. So, a bunch of athletic directors at schools that were going to play football this fall, banded together and fought for blanket eligibility for all fall sports athletes.
1: So guys don't um, opt out?
0: So the football players wouldn't opt out. Now, right. they didn't say that. They they advocated oh, we're just fighting through this you know, unique time, and Oh, you know, maybe you know it's unclear whether teams will be able to play in the spring and whatever. But it was really just like we don't want the football players opting out. And but once 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 they went down the road with football, and again the 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 the, the majority votes in that 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 realm are going to be football votes. Um, then then basketball players sitting here like, okay, well football's playing its season, but has the blanket eligibility. So we we better have it, right? And that's what the basketball coach said. So then their AD and their ads, their ads were like, well, I guess we have to do this, and they like told the uh, the, the board of directors, all right, we got to do this. And, here we go the oversight committee. I think is what it's called,
1: right? But even when they released this, right, no one sat down and just played a little, a little five minute game of, of what ifs, right? Of of scenarios. Like I had a guy um, Zach Mulholland on Twitter ask me, so is is it if someone red shirts this year, do they get an extra year, or is, are, are there no red shirts? He's like, well. The NCAA clearly did not think that far. They just said blanket year, and then Jeff Goodman followed up with a couple of bullets. But but the way it sounds is everyone gets an extra year, right? So if I'm um, if I'm a freshman this year, if I'm um, Zach Loveday on Baylor, right, and maybe you know deep front court, I'm a skinny lanky guy, they're they're gonna redshirt me. So then. I get an extra year on top of the redshirt year, right?
0: No. So, 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 this is where this is this is I think the the gap. It is not an extra year. It is a this year does not count. That is how I have taken understand.
1: So there's no point in redshirting, right? Correct. So if if Mark Vettel or or no, we'll uh, take someone. You
0: know, yeah. If if Love Day redshirts this year, he doesn't leave with five years of eligibility. He right, leaves so, with so four. The...
1: So there's no point in redshirting, Correct. So that means... But, but there are still sit-out transfers this year, guys who are required to sit out. So they are losing a year, right? So like that's why Hollins Woods chooses to play, because he was a sit-one-play-one who was like, okay, I, I could have this one year where I'm going to be the backup to Remy Martin, or now I can have two years. One is the backup, one is the starter. So I'm clearly going to take Playing two years or playing one year and sitting a year. Well, so now does every sit-out transfer, are they gonna now file for a waiver? Because this year doesn't count for them. But however, the year does count for the freshman, right? So even if a freshman plays this whole year, right? So this is the year 2021. So they'll
2: they'll get to play in 24, 25, no matter what? Yes. We're never going to escape this. This is th-
1: this is ultimately, ultimately probably good for college basketball, but in terms of keeping track of things, it's going to be chaos. We're going to be sitting here four years from now talking about, oh, do you think Zach Loveday and Zed Key are going to stay for their 50 years and... Oh, no, if they're going to transfer, where are they go? Because these guys can transfer as well. So a guy who's a senior this year, all right, let's say... Let's say Macy Oteague. Well, I, I mean, he would go pro, but, but I have I have Baylor in front of me right now. So, so Macy Oteague, his scholarship can be added to Baylor's total for next year. So let's say he's their only senior. All right, so they have him and Clark, right? So they have two seniors. So next year they have 15 scholarships as long as two of those players are Teague and Clark. Well, they have, they have Vital too. So, so, so the, the point stands with 16. So if Teague, Teague decides to leave, they only have 15 spots and two of those have to be Vital and Clark and 14 if, if one stays and so on. But those guys can transfer and count toward the normal 13 for another team. So Teague could leave and go play for Providence next year as a 60-year guy. As long as he's with he
2: counts toward Providence's normal 13 a lot. Yes. It is... I, I don't even know how Coach is going to like maintain the recruiting board. It's going to be a disaster. Because but, hey, so, like you said, good for the sport. The talent level will be high.
1: So this is going to knock out a lot of guys who are waiting right now with their recruitment. Right, the twenty twenty one guys. You better pick a school pretty quick. You know, and some of these back end guys, right? Because if you're a a low-major team, instead of taking a flyer on a freshman, you could just go and grab someone senior. Like, if you're Sacred Heart, you can go grab a senior from Holy Cross, even if he's not that good. He's going to be 24 years old, you can plug him in. Yeah. All these players came out of nowhere. And I think, you know, I was listening to the Three Man Weave podcast, and they were saying that it helps the teams with the most seniors. I think it helps the teams the most with the most turnover. I think if you look at, like, if if Kentucky has a similar offseason to to what they had this year, where basically everyone goes pro who can't, you lose one or two guys off the back to transfer, and none of their seniors come back. And, and they only have one or two returning guys. They have the biggest brand in college basketball, biggest platform, with playing time at every position, that they can just pick guys out of nowhere and build like a, a, a super team of the, the best guys who couldn't really go pro. Because we saw this year, a lot of guys chose to come back to school with, with a late deadline because of the uncertainty. They didn't know if they were going to get a pro contract or not. That uncertainty with how the pandemic is going, it's probably going to still be there next year. So I think you could see the, the big brands, the teams with a lot of turnover, maybe Memphis that, that could lose a lot of guys early, Kentucky, maybe even Duke. Um, you could really see these guys loading up.
0: So I will say, I think, I think if you have seniors who are indicating very clearly... Um, that like they want to stay. I think, I think the biggest thing is you need clarity if you're a coach, right? Like, if you have the senior laden team, like, this is your year, you need to know early that your kids want to come back or they do not want to come back so you can go recruit. Now, the other Good. thing, if you have a senior laden team and you get the, the word early that everyone wants to come back, then can you go chase like a grad transfer to and get like a second crack at the like ro- go around with the, um, with the young guy, with the, with the, with the, uh, with the old group. Okay, we're going to plug in a hole. We just have this year. We know exactly what we're missing. Here we go. So
1: like, how about Richmond? Right? Richmond has four senior starters. Now that yep. Nick Sherrod just went down today with a career-ending knee injury. Yep. Now, I think these guys are good enough to go pro, right? Gilliard and Golden and France is definitely right. But, you know, say that it's it's uncertain or or, or that they, they had a strong year and they think they can come back and, you know, move it forward. Then Richmond would have 17 spots, and they still would have, if if, if everyone else comes back, which probably pe- people would be bailing, they would still have two spots to go get a grad transfer to essentially replace Nick Sherrod and, you know, maybe they could get... A really good one, or or not even a grad transfer, but you know one of these seniors that are uh, floating in the wind.
0: Well, that's the other thing is with the uh, the immediate eligibility, it's just gonna be even crazier. But I'm excited for this off season, man. We're gonna have so much so much work to do on this podcast. It'll be unbelievable. I know
1: I know that you're answer to start the Big Twelve. So you want to uh, you want to get going?
0: Well, well, otherwise we might be, ha- be 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 recording this thing. It's gonna be like a three hour marathon. But let's do the thing. All right. Do we both agree at Baylor at one, or do you have Kansas? I have Baylor, but I have Kansas very close behind. Okay. Let's start with Baylor, then. I'll get my rundown. Um, they were awesome defensively last year, and they were awesome offensively last year. Right? I mean, they, they were just terrific. Uh, you really on both ends, I think. Um, you know, Jared Butler's emergence, obviously, like, was a game-changer, and I thought we, we thought that he had a, a good chance to have a really good year. But I don't think we expected him to be as good as he was. We didn't expect Macy Oteague to make the impact he did. Uh, I do think they're going to miss Freddie Gillespie and like, quite a bit. Absolutely. I mean, he was. I think really one of the more underrated players in the country. He defended the rim. He could, you know, switch defensively, which was really big because Tristan Clark could not switch. Um, he could, you know, play on the play on the perimeter a little bit. You know, dribble handoffs and things like that. Uh, and they have, like, all these options to rotate through the five, but I'm not sure any of them are plus players, right? Like, Jonathan Chachua can probably play in the rotation, but is he good? I don't know. Flo Thamba can play in the rotation. Is he good? Dane Danger, is is probably 10 minutes. Is he good? I don't know. Clark was really up and down last year coming off the ACL. He's a very different player from Gillespie, but he's a dynamic offensive talent if he can get going. Um, So I think that's the main concern with the Bears. On the plus side... I mean, you have to love what they continue to bring in. Um, you know, they essentially don't don't lose much in the backcourt. And then they add Adam Flagler, you know, very, very talented kid um, who was terrific at Presbyterian. Uh, we mentioned him in the uh, Caleb Daniels discussion on the Big East podcast, but uh, he's a guy that I think will make a significant impact. Like Teague, a really good shooter. Um, they also get a breakout from a guy like Matthew Meyer, who was a pretty key player for them last year uh, in the rotation. Um, also, uh, you know, they, they have some, some younger guys in like Jordan Turner or get yeah, Jordan Turner and LJ Cryer, maybe one of those guys sneaks in the rotation. So I think they're really, really deep. I think we've, um, at this point, certainly established the, um, we, we've certainly established that, you know, Scott drew is a really a coach. Like any questions of that are gone. Um, and I think just at the bottom, at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to how they replace that center position um, and whether they can stay healthy. Because otherwise, I mean, it's, they, they feel as safe of a top 10 pick, top five, top 10 pick, as, it, as you could find, essentially.
1: Right, so I, I have Baylor number three right now. And it's crazy to think about, you know, around this time last year, I remember having them. I think they had like nine or ten. Lose Mario Kegler, yeah, who was a solid player, combo forward, average double figures, was looking to be a key, key piece for them. He, he allowed them to go small the year before. Uh, you know, he, he was uh, pretty valuable, and I was very concerned with that. And, and I moved them down, I think to like 15 or 16, and they end up, you know, being terrific. The the defense with the addition of Davion Mitchell and uh, Macy O'Teague. Um, Really made them really really dynamic. Um, they have they have guards who can score. Defense is terrific. They have you know, one of the most fun players to watch in Mark Vital. So powerful. He rebounds. He defends. He's versatile. He's just someone
2: who who everyone wants on their team. He's a really nice sixth man type. Score the ball
1: if he get gets here a little bit. I think probably next year is when you'll see him him be a double figure scorer. the better, the center position is really the, the, the big question mark. Can Tristan in Clark right when 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 Clark had his abbreviated sophomore year and he averaged fifteen points, six rebounds, and two and a half blocks. Even when it was a promising freshman. Four, seven, and five. Um, I think a lot of times I think people are doing this heavily with UConn, right? If we want to, you know, once once we hear the guys back up fully healthy, to reach his his peak peak performance almost instantly, and especially in live game action, these guys are cautious. You know they don't want to re injure themselves. They're still kind of feeling it out. I think you got to give them some time. I think a year removed and hopefully a, a year healthy for Clark. We'll see more of sophomore Tristan Clark than we did of a uh, junior Tristan Clark. But, I mean, e- even the guys behind him, there's very little pedigree here in terms of production. But Daniel's a, a a great recruit, but big men have stronger learning curve. I think he's a top 75 recruit. So those guys are pretty hit and miss. Tom has been in the rotation as a freshman. Kind of fell out a bit this past year when they were a lot better. And then Champa Chechua is uh, really just a dart, right? Just throwing a dart there. So it's really got to be Clark. Uh, unless you think that we're going to get some mileage with a small lineup with maybe uh, Vital up the five and Matthew Meyer at the four or something. But I think Baylor being an elite team is really going to depend on on the center production. I think we'll get a better Tristan Clark. I think that, that other 15 minutes of the game when he's not in, I think that Dania... Tamboa and Chamboa, Chechua can piece together a 15th, enough that makes Baylor a number one seed.
0: Yeah, I think I agree. Bovada has uh, Baylor as 11 to 1 to win the national championship. That's the fourth best odds in the country. Uh, for those of you that enjoy our, our gambling choices, uh, I think that's decent uh, if you can get it. Uh, I think Flagler is an, also an interesting X factor. Um, know you mentioned I'm kind of in that six-man role. Guys, guy made threes at a 39% club as a freshman. And look, I get that it was a Presbyterian, and no one knows where the hell Presbyterian is or if they're any good, but I don't think people quite understand that they won 20 games that year, and winning 20 games at Presbyterian is literally like winning the national championship anywhere else. The previous, the, the, the previous coach, so Dustin Curran spent two years there, won 11 games and 20 games. The previous coach went 5-and-25, 11-and-20, 10-and-22, 6-and-26, 8-and-24, 14-and-15, 13-and-18, 5-and-26, 12-and-27, or 12-and-17, excuse me, 5-and-25. I believe I read that, like, one of the main reasons they tried to become D1 in athletics and at football is, like, they needed the enrollment boost. Like, it's a tough-ass job, and, like, the fact that that Dustin Kearns won there is crazy, and the fact that, you know, they found a guy like Flagler is huge. So, I'm not sure I'm buying all conference level buzz. Like, I just don't think that's like a reasonable expectation. But he was a legit, you know, he was the best player on a 20 win Big South team. So, we shouldn't just kind of ignore that because the best player on a 20 win Big South team the last time was Macy O.T.
1: Absolutely. And the Big South has uh, produced a lot of talent. We'll see the guy who's a consensus number one grad transfer this year, Carla Jones from uh, Radford. Uh, We'll see how his career at Louisville turns out, but on to team number two. And that's the Kansas Jayhawks, number one in Canton Palm last year. Kevin, where does a Bovada
0: have uh, Kansas's championship odds? Uh, they are 16 to 1. That they're straddling Michigan State and Duke. See, I like see I
1: that uh, kind of confuses me that a Bovada has Michigan State and Duke around Kansas, because I think Kansas is one of the elite teams. I think that they're in in Tier 1 with Baylor, Gonzaga, and and, and Villanova for me. Um, Now, they lose their two best players. right? They're losing a dominant center in Yudoka Azebuki, who could be an NBA player. Um, I think think he probably gets drafted at some point. I think Baylor's center from last year, Freddie Gillespie, is going to get drafted, too. I forgot to mention that on Baylor breakdown. And, and they also lose Devin Dotson, who's also probably off, the, off to an NBA contract, a dynamic point guard who, who didn't always shoot it great, but he was incredibly fast with the ball. I saw Mike Schmitz from uh, ESPN today was saying he, he's the fastest guy in the draft. So so those are two uh, pretty big holes. But this team has, I I think, a diamond in the rough waiting, waiting in the wings. That's David McCormick, a guy who's been stuck behind Azubuki, yeah. You know, no one really expected him to come back for his senior year, so McCormick could have been the starter last year. It gets pushed back a year, and you know, Bill Self noted how, how good he was. He wanted to play McCormick and Azubuki together for, for, for that start of the season. They actually started 18 games together. Um, the issue was that they're both centers, and, and they couldn't play together, but now that McCormick has that center position for himself, he's, he's in for a major breakout. After having seven points, a game in fourteen minutes this year think think he he could get up to like 15 or 16 points a game and then you're going to surround him with a ton of talented wings you 're going to have one of the best defensive players in the country Marcus Garrett who maybe starting a point guard he 's going to just suffocate opposing point guards he's so long he 's not a great shooter uh, but but he's a better playmaker than uh, people realize and obviously an elite defender they're going to get another year from Ugh a- 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 Baji, who last year was his, you know, his, his freshman year, they broke his register midseason. Last year, his first full year playing with the team averaged 10, 10 points a game and shot 34% from three. Long, versatile wing. And then you have one of the best Juco guys in the country, Ty- Grant Foster, who's got some NBA buzz as well. And then a five star freshman in, in a Bryce Thompson. So this team's identity is going to be length and versatility. with. Dominant big man, should have an excellent defense, and then a bench that's filled with, you know, a, a former key piece from last year in Christian Braun, or t- top seventy-five recruits like Tristan Anaruna and Jalen Wilson, uh, a, a senior big in Mitch Lightfoot. I mean, this team has ha- has a lot to like. I think maybe you could say not enough shooting, or maybe not a true point guard, uh, but I think the the explosion coming from McCormick the The experience and versatility from guys like Garrett and uh, Agbaji, and the upside of guys like Thompson and Grant Foster, I think makes Kansas one of the elite teams. So I'm
0: not to, I'm not going to disagree with anything you said there. I think they will be very good. The talent level, you know, one through nine is really good. I know even people like uh, Latrell Jossell, who is like this underrated three star point guard that self took and. Now when people watch the table like, okay, why the hell was he under why was hell he so underrated? Uh, and they also have Dewan Harris, uh who will be in the mix in the backcourt, redshirted last year, was really good at Peach Jam. Um for Mokan on that and Folly Dante, Mike Peak, um Kennedy Chandler team. Uh I think I think when you look at this team, like the primary thing that jumps out is that there just isn't like a guy who can get a bucket. You know, they've they've had so many good point guards over the years right like when you look through you know the last several seasons of kansas basketball you had dotson and you had um you know before that you had a guy like Devonte graham and frank mason like it has been a while i'm trying to try to wind my way back to to this like when was the last time they didn't have a guy at point guard that you trusted to go get yourself a bucket? I think that it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Elijah Taylor. Yeah, yeah. I I I think this team in some ways is reminiscent of the uh the Kansas team that had Cliff Alexander. With like Ubre and Wayne Seldon, young Frank Mason before he was really good, old Perry Ellis, Lana Lucas, right? Like I think there there's something there to this team where you might not have a star. You might not have a guy who goes to the NBA after this season. But you do have a bunch of really good players. I think Marcus Garrett is the perfect example of that, where he's not, you know, if Mar- Marcus Garrett averages 16 or, you know, 15 or 16 points a game, I'd be pretty surprised. But him being All-American wouldn't surprise me because I think in terms of game impact, the way he defends, the way that he, um, you know, distributes, he just does so many things for you. Uh, And I think that will be valuable. I think having both him and Grant Foster, who can create, uh, is is an interesting look. And then you mentioned McCormick. I think he'll score, but I don't think he's... He's not the presence that Doak was, right? Like, Doak dominated the game, and I don't think McCormick will do that in the same way. I think that's my major concern for Kansas. It's the reason why I think Baylor is clearly ahead of them. But I do think this is a top-ten team, without a doubt. And
1: it, it speaks to, I think... Bill Self's, I guess, eye for talent and or development, where when you throw, you know, when when they grabbed a, a baji people were kind of confused, oh, he's ranked too low, right? When uh, Marcus Garrett was a freshman and he was getting rotation minutes, you know, pe- pe- people didn't like him, he wasn't very good, he can't do anything, right? And now you kind of fast forward a couple of years and these guys are going to be all all big 12 caliber players. And in the case of Garrett, he, he could be your best player. Um and Bill Self's done that year in year out. You you mentioned with the point guards and dating back. I think this this was the Elijah Taylor team, right? Where they had Jeff Withey had that breakout year and, and went to the NBA as a dominant dominant center in college. Where I think they made the Final Four at least. And Travis Ralliford had a big big end of his career after kind of waiting his turn, and they had um, it was K- Kevin Young at Power Forward, who was a really good glue guy that they took as a transfer from, I think, Lo- Loyola Marymount. So Bill Self's always great at finding new ways to add talent, getting a guy like DeWan Harris to reclass, finding uh, Christian Braun as an underrated guy. You know, He's just proven to really get the most out of these kind of fringe pieces and fitting them into the roster.
0: You yeah, know, uh, Without a doubt, agreed. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see, particularly a guy like Jossel He's the next guy um, because he could be uh, a really a steal. Because I think I think he was literally Kansas might have been his first offer, like something ridiculous like that. Uh, which I think again speaks to a guy who trusts his eyes, which is always really really fun. Um, any other thoughts we have on Kansas? Right, like I think they just have so many pieces. Right, like. And Arana was is like a useful-ish rotation player as a freshman. Christian Braun was really, really good as a freshman. Like, I think people kind of forget about Christian Braun because he's kind of a forgettable player. He doesn't do anything like at an elite level. But like, the guy hit 44% from three, was, you know, steady on defense, did his job. in that kid, in like two years, we're going to be like, how the heck is he still in college? And he gets another year. So he's gonna be like a twenty-five-year-old, like <laughs> running around draining threes, averaging like nine and a half points a game. be I mean, so pissed.
1: I think just one interesting thing is when, when you're pulling out their, their top nine. Um, if anyone had Silvio Souza as the backup center, which I didn't, uh, that's that's gone. He's out. I think he could actually be a solid player for another high-major team He'd maybe average like seven and eight or something. Yeah, um, but Lightfoot will be the backup center probably. I think Dewan Harris is probably playing as a backup point guard. I think you mentioned Braun is definitely in the mix after how he played last year. So that leaves one spot in their top nine between Jalen Wilson and Tristan Enorunna, Tristan and, and these are two guys with very high pedigrees, great recruits, long, athletic, versatile guys. Which, which one of those two do you think sneaks into the top nine?
0: I think I would probably bet on Ennerun. I mean, He played eleven minutes a game this past year. Like the numbers don't jump, but I think he will. Um, I think he will be like a good player for them in time. I think Wilson not getting a year to play and then having kind of this disrupted summer doesn't help him. He's a guy you could wind up seeing on the uh, the transfer block. I would Absolutely.
1: Former Michigan uh, commit. Maybe we'll see him. Uh... Head back there. It's funny because guys who go to more so Kentucky and Duke, uh, but also Kansas and UNC and Arizona, Louisville, when these guys leave, they always land on their feet.
0: Oh, yeah. Like a Michael Benege.
1: Right. Semi-Ojale, those guys go have great careers. But even guys like Lance Thomas, who leaves Louisville and and, and goes to Memphis, right? Like, it's a risk to go to these schools because you get recruited over and you you know but even when you stink you always find a a great spot and then usually you're very successful there
0: like a a koya Gao too
1: right he he was hurt all the time like marcus he always
0: had an opportunity no matter what like it was like all right you average four points a game all right let's line up the high majors you want them
1: you know georgetown smu back to louisville
0: unbelievable Anyway, anything else on Kansas before we have to decide? Because I think this is the first real uh, deviation here. All
1: right, I have West Virginia number three. Who do you okay, have Okay,
0: interesting. I have West Virginia as well.
1: For me, this is clear. I was thinking tiers earlier, and I had Kansas and Baylor in tier one. I have West Virginia by itself in tier two.
0: I think Texas Tech belongs in the tier. And it wouldn't surprise me if West Virginia winds up closer to tier one as a top ten-ish team. Oh, I have them them uh, top 10 as well. Um, yeah, so state. there's a tier below. You like They're, they're like, like Kansas, like 6 or 7, and then West Virginia 10.
1: So I have Baylor 3, Kansas 4, definitely. I'm definitely having West Virginia top 8-ish. And then Texas Tech and Texas, and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think those four in a tier, that's nationally like 20 to 40. Like a bloated middle.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but yeah, so West Virginia last year. I mean, they were, I think, kind of slipped a little bit down down the stretch, if memory recalls. Uh, third best defense. Uh, they're, they're going to lose a very good defender in uh, Jermaine Haley, who was like a glue guy on the wing. Really interesting player. Had some point guard skills. Uh, couldn't couldn't really shoot, at that great size. He's gone, but you're bringing back your your twin towers with Culver and Shebway, who're going to oh. Own the glass. Miles McBride is on like everyone's breakout list. At, at times last year, he was a primary creator for, for for better and for worse. I remember the St. John's game down the stretch; he kind of folded a bit. But as a un- unranked type freshman, three-star freshman, I thought I thought he was very impressive. And now everyone has him as a breakout. You get another year starting for Emmett Matthews. Some some length on the wing. Then you have a million of the guards who, who have been around forever. Uh, who could slide in there? These uh, JUCO guys like a Sean McNeil or Taz Sherman who are in their second year in the program? You still have Jordan McCabe. Uh kind of flashy point guard is probably at this point a backup point guard for them. And they have one of the best JUCO guys in the country sliding in there with and Johnson. Top one hundred freshmen off the bench and Jalen Bridges. I mean, this is a is a deep roster even for West Virginia Standards. It fits the exact mold, mold they want to play with the length, the toughness, the rebounding, the defense, the versatility, and the, their offense should be better as their creators get older
0: and more experienced. Yeah. No, I think I think that's the easy argument for them, right? And like, they're just gonna like plow people over on the glass, right? Like thinking of like the I mean Baylor does a good job gang rebounding, but thinking of like those four Baylor centers. Having to rebound against Shebway, that's not it's not fun. No one wants to do with that. Texas Tech, like Sano Silva, getting you know towered over, I mean, it's gonna be tough, right? Like Texas is you know Kai Jones is like 200 pounds going up against Oscar Shebway, looks like he's molded out of steel. Uh, you know that'll be a challenge. And I also think the uh, freshman Isaiah Cottrell. I don't know how he's gonna get in the minute get get in as many minutes because they're so deep up front, but like. I really liked this game when I watched the the Prep game. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, I do think I, I, they felt a little bit fraud to me last year for much of the year. Like they were just, they, they were just they played so many ugly games. That it kind of felt hard to buy in. That's why I think it's so important that, you know, ideally a McBride breakout helps here, but I think Kedrian Johnson, uh, who actually began his career at uh St. Peter's never played a game. Um, you know, great stuff. So goes to John Dunn. Never gets never gets into action. Winds up at the JUCO Temple, falls out for two years. Average twenty five a game in JUCO. See you later, Alligator. Now we're going to West Virginia, uh, and, and he is I think very very critical. Now they've had some like fairly disappointing JUCOs in recent years. You know, thinking of guys like uh, you know Sean McNeil wasn't great last year. Kind of like a just like a rotation shooter. Um, like Taj Sherman, Taj Sherman, excuse me, wasn't great. I'm trying to think. They've had some guys in the past a couple of years before that as well who have been more of, like, the five, six-point-a-game guy. I think they need Johnson to be that, that big guy to, to overcome what will be a very deep, very talented Texas Tech roster. But they have a strength they're going to play to. It. And I also think, like, we tend to underrate, and we talked about this last year, like, jumps from guys who are already very good. Oscar Shebway averaged 11-9 and nine as a freshman. It's easy to be like, okay, well, that's who Oscar Shebway is. But, like, the guy, A, did that in 23 minutes per game. B, he still very obviously was developing parts of his game, whether it's handle, his ability to um, defend, you know, defend in the post, his ability to hit, step out and hit jumpers. Like, this guy's a fringe five-star. Like, he has the potential to turn into, like, all-American level, you know, 17-13 type guy.
1: And you you mentioned how aggressive they were on the glass. I mean, Shebway, twenty three minutes a game, nine point three rebounds a game. Culver, twenty five minutes a game, eight point six rebounds a game. These these guys are two of the better rebounders in the country, and they play some together. I think, I think they play mostly apart, but they start together, um, and that's and that's going to be a really tough matchup for any team. Uh, yeah, so we we're both very high in West Virginia. I agree that they weren't as good as you know, they weren't really a top 10 team last year, despite the, the numbers saying that.
0: Right. Ken Palm loved them all year. And I was like, because I think. I think Ken Palm the, always loves the Big 12. It's broken that way. Yeah. I also think the other thing with them is like they started undefeated, not really playing anyone. Like they beat enough decent teams like your Rhode Islands, your Northern, Northern Iowa's, that it felt like you did something. They lost to St. John's. Bad loss. Um, then they won against a bunch of bye games. They beat Ohio State when Ohio State was down. Then, like throughout conference play, like they didn't have that signature win, right? Like their best their best win in conference play was the the last game of the year when they beat Baylor. Before that, their only wins in conference play were against. Non-tournament teams, other than maybe that bubble team Texas Tech that they beat at home in early January, right? Like their resume was sneaky thin on like beating actual teams. They had only won you know nineteen twenty games, and they're sitting there at, like ten and ten. Probably, you know what the heck is going on here? But um, yeah, they, that, that Baylor win obviously uh, solidified things if there was any questions. So
1: now for team number four with. Mac McClung, I have Texas Tech. Without Mac McClung, I have Texas.
0: I think, regardless, I would have Texas Tech at four. All right, so we'll do Texas Tech now. Okay. So, have we gotten an indication, briefly, just on Jamar Jamaris Burton if he can apply? play? At this point, you would think he will, right? Like he has no reason not to. With the
1: if if what we just discussed at the top of the podcast is true about this isn't a free year, it's, this year doesn't count. And there's no reason for anyone to sit out. There's there's reason on the team side to like preserve team chemistry and unity and all that. But from the players' perspective, players' perspective, it makes more sense to play 15 minutes a game this
2: year than zero minutes. That's correct. Yes,
0: I'd rather get right. Even if it means you know he you know if he, if it boxes like Kevin McCuller out of the rotation. I'm taking every
1: edge I can get. Right, then maybe Burton's not happy with the 15 minutes, and, he, and then he leaves, and then McCullough wasn't happy with the three minutes a game, and he leaves.
0: We saw this it's, summer that the Texas Tech can just go get kids now. Okay, we're Silva. We can go, we'll take you. Okay, there's Mark, a thousand Mark, other long. kids
1: on the market next year who weren't on it previously, too. So. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So here's an interesting way of, of, of framing this. How much would McClung, ch- how much does McClung change your opinion of this team? Because I'm not sure it changes my opinion that much.
1: I think it does because I think it gives them their best shot creator. Okay. I think he's probably a better shot creator than Kyler Edwards and freshman Amari Burnett. It seems weird that a lot of Texas Tech fans I've seen are dismissing Edwards. Seems like they're bringing him off the bench on lineup predictions. This guy was is like the leading returning scorer, average double figure start all thirty one games last year. Yeah, I and wouldn't be surprised if he's better than uh, McClung, but I think I th- think the safe pick is that McClung would be your best player and Edwards would be your second best player.
0: So 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 here's why I don't think it's huge a huge deal. Like you said, I mean, sure he would be the best guy. Like if you if you lined everyone up and said go get a bucket,
2: but like. Are you really concerned? Like, I still think a if you're lining up
0: Burton, Burnett, Edwards, Shannon, Santos Silva as a starting five with McCuller, Agbo or PV, and Tombway, and then Tyreek Smith at your nine. That's not even like Clarence Naldoni. You know, Avery Benson played last year, right? Like, that's still really good. That's deep across the board. That's athleticism. You've got a breakout candidate in, uh, in Terrence Shannon. Burton was a guy who was terrific at Wichita State, a really a high-impact guy who defends and does everything for you. Um, Burnett, I think, was really one of my favorite players in the country in AAU ball. Like, the guy just competes like hell. Like, he plays so damn hard. He can hit shots. He can play point guard. He can play off the ball. Like, you'd be playing this lineup with, with two-and-a-half point guards where Burton, Burnett, and Edwards all can, like, play on the ball a little bit. You'd have, you know, all these versatile wings. Like, I'm not, I'm not hating that. If, I almost think, like, when you're throwing McClung in there, you're throwing a guy who wants to play on the ball a lot. And, and again, I think Chris Beard will get him to play the way that Chris Beard needs him to play. But, like, I don't know that you need Mac McClung, like, dominating the ball. He's not a great shooter. And I think you can live with like your your eight or nine that you've got and still be a top fifteen ish team. Yes uh,
1: when when I made the tech, Texas Tech over Texas with McClung out McClung, I, I had considered that Burton would would redshirt. I think I think you're right. With with Burton in there, I think Texas Tech um is, is better than Texas even without McClung. I think they're right around the top fifteen. Um, I don't feel great about it because you know people were so high on them last year with the trust Chris Beard and everything. I thought the roster last year was legitimately talented. Uh, the, the Ken Palm looked good, but it just didn't click. They 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 didn't generate enough offense, and they're losing you know a really good shooter and a really experienced guy, ready. You're gonna lose of a, a big and Holyfield who who is a lot more more versatile and mobile than a Santos Silva. We'll see if they can adapt a different way. It just feels like this team, and we, we touched on this more in, in transfer season, it seems like the, the pieces don't fit great. Fe- right? We have a lot of scoring combo guards. We're a little light on shooting. A lot of athletic wings. feels like the, that, that there's a lot of overlap, not enough shooting. And then, how do we think that the defense is going to be? So we know be- Beard is a great defensive coach. I, I, Shannon really fits the mold as a great defender, I think. McClung is also seen as a pretty strong defender. Uh, but we're not going to have Numari's a mold. Nomari's going to
0: defend. Nomari's going to defend. Burden really defends. is a good, good defender, team defender.
2: Santo Silva at, at, at the five, though. I'm trying to pull his block percentages. Right, it's going to be
1: a, a far cry from uh, Tarek Owens and Holyfield. He's more similar to Odiaze.
0: Yeah, he, he did. He did block 1.3 shots per game. So it's not like he can't block shots. I also think the other thing that's critical with him and it's something we sleep on with with, with, with defense, defensive rebounding counts to defense. Offense, Absolutely. And 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 Silva is a really really good rebounder. And Texas Tech was not a very good rebounding team last year. And, and and if you look back um, you know they, they were pretty pedestrian in rebounding the team that was you know went to the national title game um, but they also were you know, you know they were they were so good on the interior and they needed to kind of counteract they just weren't quite as good in that regard and i think they need to be better on the glass and sano silva i think is a guy who will help them on the glass
1: so we're trading in some some front court athleticism and mobility for a little more physicality.
0: I mean, you're, you're so, so, so we're really comparing him to Holyfield, who was a, a pretty decent shot blocker, but was not a good rebounder. Right. He, he was more mobile. And then
1: Clark is a better athlete than at, at Twambe and the freshman wings. But, but Clark also could shoot it all. I think the backcourt probably takes a step down, going from Moretti Mer- and Ramsey to Burnett, McClung, Edwards. But it's also deeper. Yeah. Much deeper team. Much deeper backcourt. And you have a, a, a serious breakout guy in Shannon. Yeah, I think top top 15, top 18, I think that's where we're sitting here for Texas Tech. Yeah.
0: Yep, and I'll just add to my last, my last point would be like the number of, when we talk about, we talked about this in the off season a lot, like, like another roll of dice, essentially another opportunity for a breakout, another opportunity for this. Like, even if we call Kyler Edwards a proven commodity, even if we say Jamarius Burton is, is a proven commodity, you have Burnett who could be, you know, a 15 point game guy and like a, a lottery pick. You have, you know, McCuller who could take a jump. N- Naldoni who could take a jump. Shannon is a, you know, perfect breakout guy. And Tom Boy was, you know, productive at UNLV, has all the upside in the world, could make a jump. You're, you're, you're not really counting on anything from PV and Agbo. Both were top 100 recruits. Tyreek Smith could make a jump, right? Like, they have all, they, they have all these rolls to the dice in these young players, and odds are at least one of them turns into, like, a very productive guy. And I think that, that helps in the favor of, like, I don't know who exactly it's going to be, but that just helps your, your overall confidence uh, that they will be, uh, pretty decent. And I'll also just quickly note that uh, Bovada has Texas Tech 22 to 1 to win the national title.
1: It should be a good uh, defensive team. We'll see with all the combo guard creators how, how the offense turns out. Uh, but, you know, top, top 18, top 15 sort of team is nothing to sneeze at. Yes. Um, so, number five, do you have Texas?
0: I do, yes. There were some considerations for Oklahoma State, but I think the roster at Texas is too complete. Right, so
1: this Texas team really came on down the stretch last year, but it was without two of their starters, Jace Febris and Jericho Sims. Febris, the shooter. Sims had a really great year. Um, Finally, out out of the shadows of a one-and-done big man, Um, he had a really good year as a rim-running, lob-threat, roll-man sort of center. Um, So those two guys are back. We'll see if they can um, build on the strong end of the season. Their backcourt is back with senior guard Matt Matt Coleman, who's a very good point guard. Courtney Ramey has been disappointing, but as a top-50 recruit playing off the ball, we'll see if he can kind of revert to form in year three. Then you have Andrew Jones, who's still coming back from having Cancer, but I uh, was pretty productive last year, uh, considering where where he was with the illness. So there's some some depth. There's some quality depth. The difference making for Texas and why you would be higher on them is in the front court. Sam so Sims back for a senior year, getting a five-star one-and-done type in Greg Brown, who's a fantastic athlete who who could also hit shots, and then off the bench. You have a guy who who's on a lot of people's breakout lists and Kai Jones, who is a super skinny big man who has shooting potential and can really protect the rim. Um, so you have a really really strong top seven or eight ro- top seven or eight man rotation, one of the tops in the in the country just on sheer talent alone. And I think Bart Bartorvich's uh, T-Rank site looked at it, and no team has ever had this much uh, raw recruiting talent. Um, every one on this team is a top, is a former top one hundred player, except for Brock Cunningham and, and Royce Ham. So <laughs> Cunningham actually came came on down the stretch last year and gave them some some good minutes, and Ham occasionally gets some center minutes as well. But that is ten or eleven, yeah, it's it's eleven guys who are former top one hundred recruits.
0: Yeah, so I think the thing for me that's so challenging with Texas is. And, and I think it's important to try not to anchor everything based on last year with teams, but, like, we can't forget that Texas was, on February 15th, like, on the fringes of the NIT. They were 72nd in Ken Palm. They were 4-8 four, four and eight in the Big 12. They still had some tough games left. They had just lost by 29 to Iowa State without Tyrese Halliburton. And that was like, all right, I don't know how we're doing Chaka again. Like, he's got to be done, right? And then they turned around, and they had a pretty favorable stretch of schedule where they had um, TCU and then Kansas State that gave them some confidence. And then they beat West Virginia at home, which was a big win. They won on the road at Texas Tech in a game that was really close down the stretch. Texas pulled away late. And Oklahoma, they beat by one. I think on a buzzer beater, if I recall correctly. They trade, yeah. The they text was down by two with seven seconds to go. And then they get it in, right? Yes, as I recall it. So they win those five games, and all of a sudden they're running right the bubble. And I was like, okay, there's a little buzz. Now we get Greg Brown. We're running it back, whatever. But I think it's important to remember like that team was kind of like us against the world at the end of the year. Everyone was hurt. They were playing like Roy. They were, play- they were playing, as you mentioned, Cunningham and Royce Ham, who really hadn't been in the rotation. Febris had been out. Um, and and they there were just, they were just running Coleman Coleman Ramey and Jones and letting them hurl and those guys who struggled from 3 for most of the season. This is a team that shot 33% from 3 as a team, 169th in the nation. Um this is a team that that and I think I think Jones shot like 47% from 3 in that stretch and um Courtney Ramey shot like 44% from 3. So, how how replicable is this? I think that's a reasonable question to deal with touch. With, know, now, I do like Greg Brown a lot. I think he's going to be a really, really impact guy. Very plug-and-play. I saw someone compared to Brandon Rush. I thought that was like an interesting comparison. I think Kai Jones is really Brandon Rush?
1: Yes. Isn't Greg Brown like a face-up power forward?
0: Now, he's like a three. He's like a three who plays small ball four in this era. But Brandon Rush was 6'6 and would have played small ball four in that era. I, I
1: thought he was kind of like Poor man's Aaron Gordon.
0: Okay, I buy that too. I think I think Brown is a little better a shot maker than Gordon.
2: Okay. But not but quite as skilled defensively. Proceed. Regardless. Like I think he'll be a
0: really nice player. I think Kai Jones breaks out potentially. That's really nice to have. Will Baker was an elite recruit you could roll the dice with. Jericho Sims was productive. But I mean they're I mean, Shaka has not done a good job at Texas. I think we we've been kind of open about that. They had some really structural flaws of the team last year. You know, it's great to say, okay, we got re- all these returning guards who are you know experienced. It's great to have a senior point guard, Matt Coleman. But this is also a team that was, um, it's you know one of the worst in the conference at taking care of the ball. The one of the worst in the country at getting to the free throw line. They fouled a lot defensively. Like they had a lot of flaws. And I think that is a scary thing with Texas when everyone's just kind of like slotting them in like the 18 to 25 range. It feels like what they what people have done traditionally in a lot of years. You know, it's just like okay, well they're talented and we got to fill some teams in. But I think there there seems to be legit buzz that I think is a little scary um, with a you know with all the concerns that I, I think still should exist that can't just be forgotten because they had a nice five game stretch at the end of the year.
1: I agree. I mean, I, I watched Providence beat the doors off of Texas um, in early December, um, and and they had a lot of kind of lifeless efforts like that. Febris is like one of the best shooters in the country who you're not scared of at all. Right? Like, there are some, some shooters like like Chris Jenkins is the first one that comes to mind, where like every time he shoots you're like, oh crap, or, or like a Doug McDermott. Um, you, you're you you're holding your breath with every shot. Thurberus is the opposite. He, he has, like, the best percentage for someone who you have, like, no confidence of, of, of the ball going in. Uh, and, and I think part of that is, you know, to, to what on the Big East preview we are talking about with Mama Kilishvilly and Tyreek Jones and David Duke is that these guys who get minutes early in their career, earlier than they should, right? They, they have a bigger role than they should. They become underrated because kind of that stench of when they weren't so hot. Uh, kind of lingers throughout their career. I I think hit has been hit with that. I think Matt Coleman certainly has been hit with that because Matt Coleman was actually very good. Uh, the uh, numbers are very good, but also watching him play, he he was really good in, in the pick and roll. I remember uh, maybe watching him play Georgetown. I think um, he had some like really nice passes to Sims uh, coming out of the pick and roll. Uh, that was like really expertly done. Uh, and, and maybe that's just a small sample thing and I caught him on a good day but uh, I feel like that Texas has a legit point guard it has guys who are legitimately upside, they have veterans, they have shooting Think think that they have more shooting than they're being given credit for um, they certainly have athleticism Mention mentioned the depth and I think they're a big man and core is really promising as well so I think that Texas for, for, for me it, it is a top 25 team, I totally understand where where you're coming from where it's going to be required to have a big jump in can um, kind of the, the magic of last year, and they're up against the world, you know, sort of uh team. I remember listening to the Three minute We Podcast recently. They had referenced that in terms of UCLA, and brought up the Xavier team from two years ago. The team with Zach Hankins um, that ha- had a really strong push to make the NIT, and then everyone had them top twenty-five last year's preseason, and then they fizzled out. Um, it, it, it probably would have been like a two-seed in the nit last year so all very
0: valid points to look out for do you have oklahoma state at six i have oklahoma interesting let me make my case for oklahoma state then i'll let you make your case for oklahoma and that'll get us to be six and seven i think it's very close i think it's possible texas winds up dropping into this kind of five through seven tier and i think there's a drop off after these two to three teams I think the easiest reason to buy Oklahoma State is obvious. We've talked about it for a while. Cade Cunningham, he arguably will be the best player in the country. He is a 6'6, 6'7. I know he measured at 6'8 at Oklahoma State. I'm not buying him, he's actually 6'8. Uh, regardless, he is fantastic. You know, plays point guard. Uh, can you know really pair pair nicely with Isaac Likely in the backcourt um, with this jumbo? You know, both guys 6'5, both guys really physical, both guys can defend four positions. Uh, to make this really, you know, impact defensive backcourt uh, that they will have, and you know, they also have a lot of nice kind of complementary pieces. Bryce Williams comes in; he can play a role from Ole Miss. Fron Flavors, is a terrific, terrific three-point shooter, be a good fit. Um, Matthew Alexander Moncrief, you know, highly touted recruit, and Rondell Walker also could get in the game. Um, both, you know, top 150 guys uh, who can create and do do a lot of different things play multiple positions. They're a little thin up front. Uh, you know, Caleb Boone probably winds up starting at the five now that uh, your and I leaves. Really disappointing that eye leaves. Not that he won't have some juice at SMU, but he would mean a lot more to a team in Oklahoma State if they were eligible for the postseason. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how, you know, Mike Boyden does like to press at times. It'll be interesting to see if they do that with both Likely and Cade dogging guys, you know, ninety four feet. Um what they get out of some of these younger guys like Avery Anderson and Chris Harris, who, you know, we're not good as freshmen, but were former top one fifty recruits, guys that could break out um and and take a step forward. But I don't know. I just think it's hard for me to bet against a team having, in my my mind, the best player in the country, uh and not being at least a, you know, top fifty ish team, at least a, you know, very competitive team in the Big 12. I think they'll be very hard to beat at home. And I think they will they will wind up just out of Oklahoma. So I have Oklahoma State,
1: you know, if if they were eligible being a tournament team.
2: Yeah.
0: I,
1: I I have them in the same general tier for me as Texas and Oklahoma and maybe even Texas Tech. I think you sold me a little bit more on the Red Raiders to kind of move them into their own tier. Um but so why Oklahoma? Right, so they were seventeen spots ahead of them in in, in Ken Palm. They were thirty sixth in Ken Palm. I think that's about the range that they'll be again. And, you know, another eight, nine, ten seed. They're bringing back a lot of their 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 key pieces from last year. Um, I think that they really need a waiver for Umoja Gibson to kind of round out that bench, uh, get give another uh, talented shooter there. Uh, but they're gonna have Devyn Harmon. Back as a sophomore after starting as a freshman, uh, so, so that another, another year of experience plus the, the the great strides that Austin Reeves made as a you know, more of a creator than than he showed at Wichita. I think they're gonna have enough shooting and uh, creation when you talk about Harmon Reeves in terms of creation. Reeves and Manic has been around forever. He's been productive. We know he can space the floor and be a starter on a very good team. Double figure score. I think they'll get enough rim protection. When you have Kirk, Kirk Queth, who was a top Juco guy a year prior, is now going to start at center. I think Alondez Williams is a great glue guy. And they have a couple rising sophomores who I think could could be important pieces off the bench. Uh, Victor Iwakor is like a power big. He'll a rebound and block shots, too, behind Queth. And then Jalen Hill is a versatile piece. I think, I think that gives them a really strong top eight. With with you know, there are best players back, and you have Harmon ready to make that sophomore jump.
0: Yeah, like I said, I think you go either way here. Um, I think I was I was surprised looking at advanced metrics and looking at kind of on-off numbers um, with this Oklahoma team, um, just how good uh, Kerr Quayth was. Um, Pride butchering his name. Sorry, Kerr. But he is a, you know, very, very talented guy. Uh, And I think, you know, he's he's obviously a very different look. I think that's the biggest thing for me that's scary. The exact
1: opposite from Christian Doolittle. Right. And Doolittle was really good. He was fantastic. He he could be an NBA player. He could easily get a two-way contract. Yes.
0: But, I mean, you know, Kerr was a guy who... um, you know, really protected the rim at a high level. Um, just pulling the, the numbers here. So he, he blocked in 10 minutes a game. He blocked 46 shots. Um, so he was blocking one and a half shots per game and 11 and under 11 minutes a game. So he's a guy that can transform a defense. And now obviously it won't be a switchable without Doolittle running around. Um, but I do think he has a chance to make a really significant impact. Um, Overall, his 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 block rate, you know, he I don't think he he didn't play enough minutes to level it. His block rate was 15, which is like one of the highest in the country. Um, so he he's also you know he also made it made his free throws. He was fishing on the rim, like he could be a a breakout star as a senior playing maybe 25 minutes a game, uh, and that would be a really interesting different look for this team. Now again, can they live without the firepower? I think that is where I get a little concerned because I didn't see a guy in Harmon. I thought he was really good. Like, I think he's going to be a guy who can make a, you know, can be like a four-year starter point guard, you know, really impactful average, like 11 to 12 points a game. But I don't I don't know that he's a guy that I'm going to, I'm going to buy, like, jumping to the uh, 13 to 14 points a game. And I don't know that they have a third scorer right now, which is why, as you mentioned, that waiver for uh, Umoja Gibson. would be an interesting watch because I'm pretty sure you know, he's not going to get the runoff. Uh, you know he's a very good player on a good Northern Kentucky team or North North, North Texas team. They could need him, uh, so I think that would be a um, you know very critical critical addition to get him.
1: So they're 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 missing Doolittle's versatility and kind of power. core um, gives you a little power, but not nearly the offensive skill or or, or versatility of Doolittle. Uh, but but I think in terms of three scores, I mean Reeves is a much better shooter than he showed last year.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: He shot like 20, 26%. He's more of like a mid 30s guy, um, even with the increased volume. I think he'll have a much better year shooting the ball. He showed much better skills in terms of being a primary creator um, than than he ever had. So you got him and Manic, who are both going to, you know, b- both averaged 14 points a game last year. I, I, I think Harmon can make the jump to 12, 13 points a game. I think. You really gotta cut these freshman point guards some some slack. They never look all that great. They're sloppy or they're you know, kinda they don't shoot they don't shoot it well or they turn it over. Um uh, but yeah, you know, we've seen so many guards. I mean, just going back last year with uh Devon Dodson had had, had a pretty sloppy freshman year. Yeah. Uh Cassius Winston had a very sloppy freshman year. Kyron Cartwright was a guy who was kinda similar to Harmon, you know, kinda Dynamic lefties. He was horrible as a freshman. Matt Coleman was bad as a freshman, right? There are, and any freshman guard that's going to play as much as 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 those guys do, you know, twenty eight minutes a game, you're going to be exposed a little bit uh, for your flaws. So I think I'm I'm certainly buying the the Harmon stock, and I think Alana's Williams getting Jamal enemies minutes. I think Williams is is a legit. You know, eight. 8-9 point-per-game guy is going to be a really nice uh, piece on the perimeter. And then Gibson was an elite shooter all all three of his years at uh, North Texas.
0: Yeah. No. I buy that. Do you have any Oklahoma State takes before we move on to uh, number 8 spot?
1: I think there, there's a little too uh, situational. Right? Where you got Flavors and Williams are really just going to be shooters. Likely is a really good player, but He's also limited to what he does. I, I think the guys who are experienced are limited. I think your bench is filled with guys who could maybe take a step, right? Like, whether it's freshmen like Alexander Moncrief and Ronda Walker or Anderson Harris, like, those guys have the potential to be more dynamic players, but they haven't shown it yet, you know, in, in the case of Anderson and Harris. Um, but like Boone is like an energy big. That's really all he is. Flavors is just a shooter. Williams is just a shooter. Likely is a good, good creator, good defender, powerful player, and then Cunningham's, you know, and and elite player who could fit in with anyone.
2: But they don't have enough dynamic guys. I think. Yeah. No, I buy that. I think it
0: it, it, he is – Mike Boyden has definitely built the roster entirely around, like, okay, here's Cade Cunningham. Let's surround him with, like, role players. Right. Which there are not that many players who are good enough to do that with. Carson Edwards is one. Right. I think Cade might be, though. And I also think you have to be careful with that because Purdue – role players were terrific role players. They were terrifically very well-coached right. team. And right. Carson Ryan wasn't like Klein, an elite, elite player. He was just an elite scorer.
1: Right. Ryan Klein is much better than Ferran Flavors and Bryce Williams combined.
0: How dare you hate on my man Ferran Flavors? How dare you?
1: <laughs> All right. Are, are we off to the NIT tier here?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Is that, that Iowa State for you, number, nine, number eight?
1: Yeah, I've been going back and forth between TCU and Iowa State. Um, I currently have Iowa State at, yeah. at number eight. I think what separates them from TCU is they got more proven scoring. I think Tyler Harris and Razier Bolton would both be maybe the leading scorer on, on uh, TCU. Um, we'll, we'll see how they fit together and how the defense is, but both those guys can, 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 can really score. Uh, can, we, can, we stop,
0: can we stop briefly? I just thought of something great. Yes, yes. We we're talking about um, uh, parachutes. How about Steve Chrome which does a parachute?
1: But he's not going to be good enough this year to parachute. I don't think.
0: But he's still known as a good coach. That's true. He's got you know he's got going to three NCAA tournaments. Was very good at Murray State.
1: But if Iowa State this year goes like six and twelve in the Big Twelve.
2: Yes. It, and they are a uh, five seed in the NIT. Can Wichita State take him? I think so. I absolutely think so. Think about
0: like the the, the traditional like American hire. Pro would be better than that. He you know he was able to kind of sniff around places like Alabama, other places. I don't think, I don't think it's at all crazy that they, that they would give him the job.
1: He's been screwed too with early entry between. Oh
0: yeah,
1: Taylor Horton Tucker and Tyrese Halliburton.
0: I mean, I think you were kind of projecting Halley at this point.
1: But. Definitely when you enrolled them, maybe yes. not after u 19s last year, and, and you know, kind of his how how the metrics loved him as a freshman in that smaller role, but yeah. So they got the the, the two scoring guards and Harrison. Alton, They have a, a really good shooter on the wing in Coleman lands. But, can, we, you know, can, we,
0: can I pause you again? Sorry.
1: You don't think he's a good shooter, but...
0: Well, I mean, he, he's, he's a good shooter who's never been a good shooter. He, he's a shooter, but the evidence of him being a good shooter is that in 2016-17, he made 30... in 2015-16, he made a lot of threes in Illinois. We, we have two seasons of evidence at DePaul that he is a, like, 30% three-point shooter.
1: No, but he was. He gets hit last year for there being no depth behind him.
2: I mean,
0: yes, but.
1: I think I think he's a good shooter, but, I mean, there might not be any. They're going to play him, him so.
0: as a good shooter, and we're going to see what happens. How
1: about, right. I think he'll average like nine or ten points a game.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Um, so they don't really have an experience kind of. Versatile physical wing, but they'll go with those three guards in the backcourt. And then with Blake Hinson out for the year with injury, they'll either go two bigs with Solomon Young and George Condit. Young has been put in that role before. Next, I think Cam Lard Uh, didn't work out too well. He's really more of a center. He's been kind of banged up throughout his career too. Kind of a blue guy type center. Uh, Condit is a very high upside guy. He can block shots. He's played well in FIBA. Um, he he's someone who who got a really big year as a starting center, um, and if they don't go with the two bigs, they'll go with a combo forward, uh, Javon Johnson, who's a transfer from Troy. Not a huge fan of the bench. It's a lot of kind of unproven freshmen or a rotation guy coming back in Trey Jackson. Talent level is kind of low, right? With Razier Bolton is, or I guess Condit's your best player, Bolton's your best scorer. Uh, like, like I kind of brought up earlier, with, with the patchwork with all the transfers and everything, and the, kind of the overall low talent level. This is like a five or six seed in, in the NIT type of team.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really concerned about the defense, right? I mean, Halliburton was really impactful on that end as well, and now you're gonna be, you know, now you're adding, you're replacing the, the, the clearest like for like that will be in terms of his minutes. Be five foot nine, Tyler Harris. That's not good. That, that's a scary sight. Uh So that's that's a concern. Again, like like you said, I like Condit. I still think Chrome is a good coach. Like I don't. He's just kind of like wound himself up into this weird spot, and he can't get out of it. You know, it's it. it, it there, there's a path. It involves, you know, like the, the path here is that you run it back next year. And you add, you know, Henson, you add another transfer or two, you make a, make a big, you know, recruiting win. Uh, you go from there. But like, man, like, wait, wait, I what? Think, was, is Xavier Foster, like, maybe he has a breakout eventually? Like,
2: kind of stuff.
1: I think prom is, uh, a prom is probably a below average high major coach.
2: I, I think, think there's he, a
0: large glut of high major coaches that will win in the right situation, but, like, could easily, like, get boxed out. Like, I'm trying to think of other examples of this. Like, Jamie Dixon, good example of this. I think Shaka, quite frankly, is a good example of this. I think if you look around, like, like, Wojo, Marquette, or um, in the ACC, like, a, maybe, like, a Brownell, or, a, you know, like, a... Laranaga. Laranaga, like even. Kevin Keats. you know All those guys can win in the right situation. Could probably assemble a team that's like a sleeper Final Four team at the best. And at worst, they, they can go like 13 and 18 and uh, hear the buzz. So.
1: Right, but few... Uh, I mean, Jamie Dixon takes over TCU and immediately, boom. Turn around relevant. Making high NIT to NCAA Tournament off off a program with nothing going for it, right? Prom was given the keys from from Fred Hoyberg to a humming Iowa State program. And they were very good. Right? But but he couldn't keep that 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 momentum going. I think that's gotta be severely penalized. He's obviously a better coach than like Travis Steele, uh, because Steele took the keys and immediately fell flat. Prom at least had some success.
2: But yeah, I think it's really
1: telling that 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 he couldn't um, couldn't keep the program going with all the momentum they had and all the pros they've had recently.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah, it, it is tough. I think I really was sold on him
0: early on. Like, those first two years, I thought he did a really nice job. I mean, obviously, he inherited a bunch, but I thought he did a great job developing Morris, developing, you know, Deontay Burton... Uh, Matt Thomas was a guy he really worked with a lot. Uh, Nick Bab uh, yeah, he he really worked with. I mean, those weren't his recruits, but he he developed them well. And it's not like we can't. It's not like you can say like, oh, he can't recruit because he recruited Halliburton, who's an NBA player. I believe he recruited Campaign, who was an NBA player from Missouri for for Murray State, excuse me. Taylor Horton Tucker t h t yep exactly, so it's not like that. I mean you just kind of on it right
2: should be right. it, it s- was at
1: 17, 18 year where everyone was giving him credit for program continuity where they bottomed out, right? I actually had them last, not to brag, uh, not to brag but yeah, because you 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 look at this team that came in last, right It was very little depth, a lot of patchwork with the transfers, and then you had. Lindell Wigginton leave early. I think he may have stayed one extra year, but he, he never really panned out based on the promise. right? And you had Cam um, Lard end up leaving early, and he was very good. He was inconsistent. He had off-the-court issues, but he was a very talented player. Um, and then, like none of these senior transfers worked out. They had Hans Bross, which I don't, I don't remember where he came from. Let's see. He was a transfer from, from Princeton. Princeton. Yeah, Princeton. They had Zoran Talley was from Old Dominion, and Jeff Beverly was from San Antonio. Um, and none of those guys really
2: hit. And that's, and that's the, the recipe for a last-place team. Yep. Yeah. All right, do you have TCU-9, you said? Yes, yes. Okay. Do you want to
0: give the rundown here? Or should I? Or am I up to do it? I don't remember i think i'm up I, okay go for it all right so the benefits with tc right i mean you have a really nice kind of pick and roll duo rj nempard and kevin samuel samuel's a guy who kind of just gets forgotten about because he hasn't done anything like super memorable um but he was like a fringe you know almost double double guy last year uh, and and nempard was was also very good um I think he's a guy that also has, a, has another leap in him. Uh, Nempard averaged this past season as a, as a redshirt sophomore um, 12 points and four assists, so he struggled with the efficiency. Um, so, you see, so you have those two guys to kind of build it around. Um, but otherwise, it's a pretty pretty unproven group. Uh, Dixon took all those grad transfers last year to just kind of plug holes, you know, Jair Grayer and Edrick Dennis – Uh, And it still wasn't really enough to lift them anywhere near uh, NCAA tournament contention, despite having Desmond Bain, who was maybe the best player in the conference, certainly top five, average 16, six and four, might be a first round pick. It's really hard to get a feel for like the late first round into the second round of the NBA draft. No one has any idea where anyone's going. Um, But it is it is time for some of these, you know, this is this is kind of a similar spot to where Iowa State was, where. You you recruit all these like not elite recruits but these you know top you know top 150 guys and JUCO's a transfer or two and you need a hit you know they need you know your PJ Fuller to take the jump where he averaged six points a game last year you need you know maybe Deonte Smith uh, to to do something for you you need you know Taryn Todd and as he, a redshirt freshman you need Taryn Frank. I think all these guys have to to come together. I do like um, they have the kid Kevin Easley, who, as I recall, was I think he's from the state of Indiana, was 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 leaning like UMass, and was like waiting for a high major offer. Decided to wait it out, then was like still open in the spring. Just kind of fell in Chattanooga's lap. Averaged fourteen points, seven rebounds as a freshman. Hit forty percent from three. A great size at 6'7", 225. He could be a, you know, a very a, a high-level impact transfer. But, you know, and again, we, we try not to be completely dependent on last year. But this is a 16-16, and 7-12 16, team that loses by far its best player and doesn't have a suitable replacement for him on the roster. So when you're projecting out, okay, how do you get better? I mean, you don't, right? I mean, this is at best an IT team in my life. I
1: think that you know maybe the low outcome, right, the 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 low probability ceiling though is you know maybe they they can get into the tournament. Um, they would need Fuller and Farabello to take major steps. It will probably be their starting one and three. Uh, Fuller with the three, Farabello with the one. Fuller was a top seventy-five-ish recruit. Farabello, I think, was top one twenty-five. They played around. 20 minutes a game last year didn't really hit it off. Um you you would hope as as sophomores that you know, with, with that pedigree and you know, with, with the amount they played last, last year they could really break out. In which case you'd have a really solid starting lineup if if you can get you know double figures from, from Fuller, get low or high single digits with good assists from Farabello, Nemhard's back after averaging 12 points a game, Kevin Samuel in, in the middle. Um as a as an anchor, and then you mentioned Kevin Easley with how how successful he was at Chattanooga. You know that's a lineup that fits together pretty well. You know they they would have solid shooting if if if, if guys make the jump um, with the Therubello, uh He shot it well last year, and if Fuller and Nnaman can shoot a little bit better, um, shooting will be solid. You know that that starting lineup makes makes sense and everything. It's Middle of the pack starting lineup if those guys break out, but but the bench is really uh, uncertain. We have J.D. On Lee who was disappointing last year. After all, he was hyped up at Ohio State. He wasn't able to do much. I think he'll probably be the backup center uh, for for like a smaller look. I I really liked uh, Taron Frank when I watched his his high school tape. I think down down the road he's going to be a really great small ball five. Um, He's a power forward who can face up and shoot. He can do a little bit of everything. A uh, strong guy as well. Uh, you have Charles O'Bannon, who is a very highly rated recruit, who has done nothing at USC over three years. A lot of injuries. And then you have a very inexperienced backcourt, a few uh, fringe rotation guys coming back with like uh, Deontay Smith as well. Um, so I think that the starters are fine to be a bubble team. I think that the the depth has a lot to be desired. And I think if Farabello and Fuller don't don't take the step, I think this team could even be worse than MIT. I, I think when you compare their roster head-to-head to Iowa State, I think Tyler Harris versus Farabello, I think you give the edge to Harris. Bolton versus Nemhard, I think you give the edge to Bolton. Fuller and Coleman lands, I think you could say Fuller breaks out and takes him. Okay take Kevin Easley over uh, uh, Javan Johnson, and then it just comes down to are you, are you buying the George Conda breakout or are you buying uh, Kevin Samuel? And I think personally I'm buying Condit. I, I'm a huge fan of his game. I think being the full-time starting center this year is going to do, do, do wonders for his uh, reputation. Yeah. Agreed. All right,
2: last team, Kansas
0: State, got him 10th. Do you think there's light at the end of the tunnel with some of the young guys they have coming in? But it's probably gonna be ugly.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be ugly, ugly this year. Uh, down the road, they could be solid. You, know, you mentioned that they have a great, great recruiting class, kind of in a similar mold to Butler's. These are like top 150 guys. They got a bunch of them, and over time, uh, you know, when these guys are juniors and seniors, they'll be very good. But this team's best player is, I guess, Mike McGurl. Maybe Dewan Gordon as a shooter has a big sophomore year. Uh, but but so they're returning four rotation guys. Girl and Gordon, or I think, will start at the two and the three. And then two of their power forwards, Montavious Murphy and Antonio Gordon, who split the position last year and weren't super productive. We'll see how they are as sophomores. But then uh, starting center is probably going to be the UTEP transfer. Kauzi. Isegu, um, I I don't think he was even in the rotation. No, he was not, no. 12 minutes a game, so kind of kind of hanging on in there. Uh, but 12 minutes a game at UTEP is now your starting center in the Big 12. Um, I guess their starting point guard is going to be the uh, Juco, uh, Ru- uh, Rudy Williams. Unless they just let it loose with all their talented freshmen. I know a lot of people really like Nigel Pack, who will probably take over the starting point guard position at some point Point, um, and they have a shooter in Luke Kazuki Luke K- and a, a athletic wing in Selden Miguel. Uh, so that one, two, three is really solid down the road. Uh, but this year, this is clearly the last place team. Uh, when it, when your best player is Mike McGurl, who last year on an eleven and twenty one team averaged seven points a game, uh, I think that speaks for itself.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good chance that Rudy Williams is their best player. He averaged 21, 7, and 9 at JUCO. Gets really good. I think he's gonna be an impact guy. Like you mentioned, Nigel Pack. I think he should be really, really good. I we think. said that
1: though last year about David Sloan too. Yeah. with the JUCO
2: point guard.
0: Yeah, it is scary. I, mean, I think it speaks to like regardless, like where you're at, right? Like if you're counting on that guy to be your best player, like you're kind of in trouble. Um, you know, they need they need jump time from Dewan Gordon. You know. Ju- you know, jump time from Antonio Gordon. You know, they, they need jumps from everybody. It's unbelievable. Uh, so, again, I think this four-man freshman class is good. Uh, I think Bruce Weber's probably got some time. But, like, they have a chance to be pretty bad this year. Like, maybe not worst power five team in the country, but, like... Like, eh? Like... I mean, they'll be better than Wake Forest.
2: And they'll be better than maybe Boston College. And they might be better than, like, Washington State. But, Vanderbilt, you know. maybe?
0: Uh, who? Vanderbilt, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, probably. But they're not better than Northwestern. R- Roster-wise, if they are better than Northwestern, it's going to say a lot about Chris Collins. So. It's right, ugly.
2: And
1: this team... This team went 11-21 and and is losing its three leading scores.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Including one who's a fringe NBA guy and Snead, and the other one, Cartier Giara, is off to Virginia
0: Tech. Yep. They need... I don't know what what they were doing this offseason. Well, Why aren't you taking... I mean, all these guys out there you could take. What are are, are you taking Quasi Izagu, the mid-year mark? Like, what what are we doing here, folks? Like... Right. You there's need some be, sit out transfers. There's going to be 20 guys better than him you can get as a grad or an immediately eligible for other reasons. What are we doing? Here? It's just a waste. Just, that's just like a set of scholarship on fire.
1: And then the guy who was supposed to be their starting center, Levi Stocker, who was a three year rotation guy. He's off the VCU. David Sloan's off to potentially start on a better team at East Tennessee. It's
2: kind of funny. Well, Cole Maywee started for three years for them. I mean, they're in they're in rough shape right now. Very much so. Very much so. Again, they
0: just need they need, they need you know Nigel Pack to be Barry Brown. You know, they need they need Barry Brown or uh, you know, one of the one of they need these dudes to to turn into not just good but like four year starters. Hope for the best. All right, big picture time. Um, six bids, five to six. I
2: think if Oklahoma State is eligible, I think that they get seven. If not, they'll get six. I'll buy that, Absolutely. which is kind of cool because last year they, were, the league
1: was down. But the, the way that your league ultimately gets the Downstamp, down right, is poor tournament play. But without the
2: tournament, it kind of flew under the radar. Now, after the down year, they're back up this year. Yes, absolutely. Um, play of the year, Jared Butler, I would think.
0: Kate Cunningham or Jared Butler?
1: Yes, you could go Butler, you could go Cunningham, you could go Marcus Garrett, you could. So, maybe Oxford, Chevway if you're super high on uh, West Virginia. Uh, but I think those, those four could definitely be, be first team. Um, as for a fifth first teamer. So I South have is
0: Butler, Teague, Garrett, Cunningham, Chevway. Okay, so you
1: have Teague o- over uh, Austin Reeves over
2: a McCormick. Over a Mac McClung. makes sense to me. Yeah. And then I have Kai Jones as my breakout choice.
1: I would uh, de- definitely go McCormick for me.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: I think Caleb Boone.
0: All the bigs, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, George. I mean George Condit. I don't know if if he'll score enough to really be a breakout, but he could certainly to be there. Uh, we mentioned Farabello and Fuller for TCU or two guys to look out for. Um Texas Tech uh, uh Terrence Shannon could uh, break out, certainly. Yep. Uh West Virginia is probably not gonna have a breakout. With the, the yeah, uh, uh McBride but every you know, they have they have most of their core coming back so none of their like bench guys are gonna break out but I I think I think McBride takes over that starting spot from McCabe. He was already playing more minutes from uh, him anyway. Yeah, yeah, so I guess he's... Yeah, yeah so the Big 12 has a, a lot of breakout candidates. Yes.
0: And then lastly, um, we kind of mentioned this already throughout the podcast, but, like, coaching stability. Long term, like, this year, I don't think there's a ton of movement to be had. But I don't think Prohm's getting fired. I don't think Bruce Weber's getting fired. I don't think Mike Boyden's getting fired. I don't think Shaka's getting fired after this year. But I also think you have Bill Self, who could kind of bounce at any time, especially with you know NCAA sanctions hanging over. You have Chris Beard, who will be highlighted for every big job until he leaves Texas Tech eventually. But he might not ever leave Texas Tech, kind of loves it there. You have Shaka, who's not, like, stable at all. I think Boynton's a guy that, quite frankly, will, you know, start feeling heat eventually. Like, it hurts not to be able to, like, just check the NCAA tournament box this year from that perspective. I don't know if he's a bad coach. He just hasn't done it yet. We mentioned Prome. Lon Kruger's an older guy. Bruce Weber, even. I mean, how old is Bruce Weber? He's got the white hair. Probably, Probably younger than I think. But, like, Bruce Weber is 64 and Lon Kruger is got to be 70, right? Lon Kruger is 68. So, you know, both of those guys are probably done in the next 5 years. So, there's a lot of coaching turnover coming in in the next 3 to
2: 5. It could I be, be say, not
1: coach. as much as the ACC, which is going to be un-
2: unrecognizable soon, but, but I think you're definitely right. I mean,
1: Shock has got to get it out of there, right? But then you mentioned with the football buyout and everything. Kruger, 68, but we're seeing guys coaching their 70s, mid-70s. Larry Brown how? What was like 80, right, at SMU. Bayheim's getting up there at Syracuse. So, what you know, uh, Kruger could, could coach another five, six years. It's, it's going to be really... Really key years for Shaq. He's Paul. ready.
2: Kruger's ready
0: to ready to bounce. You know, this is like the time in his every tenure. All right, if I'm making the tournament, I'm not going any further. All right, gotta find uh maybe he'll take the Paul, you know? <laughs> Wichita state just, will parachute down and be the old guy, Coach of Wichita State. That'll
1: be a good one. Absolutely. I don't
0: think he's going anywhere, but it is the Lon Kruger Kruger mold. He's been here too long.
1: You think if Oklahoma State doesn't have a tournament-caliber team this year that uh, Boynton's gone?
0: After this year, no, unless it's an abomination. I think, again, you have to consider Corona. Now, obviously, right. obviously, I mean, I think we've seen, like, tech, uh, Tennessee like just fired its defensive line coach in football, which uh, and then and they're paying like an $800,000 buyout like mid-season to dump an offensive line coach or a defensive line coach, excuse me. So, like, you think there's an occasion, the, like, there will be some movement if you want to make moves, especially at big schools. But I don't think Oklahoma State's going to be in a place where like they need to move on, unless it's like an absolute catastrophe, and I don't think it will be.
1: So I don't I don't follow football at all. Obviously, the defensive line coach has an eight hundred thousand dollar buyout. Yeah, Even what like the eighth, eighth on the totem pole?
0: Nah, the defensive line coach is oftentimes one of the better recruiters, so they usually probably makes the like fourth. He's probably the fifth. Highest salary on the staff, fifth or sixth. You would have the offensive and defensive coordinator, which usually make in the like high hundred thousands into the, yeah, and the best ones make into the low millions. Um, and then you have the, you know, the like the top recruiting position coaches, which make good bank usually probably like the 400 to 600,000 dollars a year. And he, they probably, he's probably just got a big, got an extension because their entire staff got an extension. Uh, and then the strength coach at some places, makes, like, $600,000 because they're, like, the lifeblood of the program. The, um, like, Alabama had this guy, Scott Cochran, has been there forever, and now he's uh, the special teams coach at Georgia because Georgia wanted to be able to have him recruit and the strength coach can't recruit. Think this business is unbelievable. But, no, college basketball salaries like, pale in comparison, especially on assistant coaches. Like, I don't know what, like, a John Shire makes, but I do not imagine it is uh, over a million dollars.
2: Well, that's, that's a, a uh, an incredible piece of perspective, right?
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. There is, when you when you when you sit there and you actually think about the amount of money in college football, it kind of blows your mind, right? Like ignoring like like, like college football coaches exclusively recruit via private jet. Your college basketball coaches do do some private jet jetting around. But they don't do nearly the amount of recruiting that college football coaches do. Like, head coaches in college football never fly commercial. Not even first class. At the, uh, at the SEC and the Big 12 and the Big 10 level. Th- those guys hop on a little, a little tiny plane. They hop on, you know, pop around the country and fly like four places in a day. I want to say there was something like, Kirby Smart is the head coach of Georgia. There was like a study that, like, he spent more money on private planes than, like, like, multiple, like, sports's budget on the entire campus. <laughs> that's incredible. It's an amazing thing. It really is. All right, anything else, Brad, before we uh, wrap this baby up? We kept doing our two hours. Unbelievable.
1: No, that's oh. all I have. And, and that was a 10-teamer. And, an and uh, we were still pushing the two-hour mark.
0: But we, we did spend the 30 minutes on the other stuff. But otherwise, we might have been on uh, back to normal on podcast line.
1: So what's next? Pac-12 next.
0: Yeah, we will give you Pac-12 next. Still got what do we got? The uh, the Big Ten. Still got. Big ten
1: and then do like an AAC plus Gonzaga plus mid-major uh, whip around plus a ten. And we might GM do like a top
0: twenty-five podcast.
1: Well, uh, you know, we have like our uh, prop bets and stuff.
0: Oh, prop bet show! Great show, best of the year.
1: I've 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 just started
2: thinking of so i came up with about four so far fantastic well uh, that's will, it uh, we're done yes we'll see you next week uh i'll be on the call of the football game at
0: ryan field this weekend i'm very excited so also if you're a fan of, of kevin sweeney and you want to hear him do
2: play-by-play for a football game i will tweet the link so please uh please tune in